HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at HearstRanch.com. Hello, welcome to Japan Needs. I'm your host, Akiko Tema, a food writer and director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from Brooklyn, New York. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every day on the supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi, ramen, izakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is so mystery for many people, and I try to demystify it in this program with my cool guests. My guest today is Genki Ito, who is the founder of Tipsy Sake, an online store that specializes in Japanese sake based in California. By the way, Tipsy is spelled T-I-P-P-S-Y, so Tipsy. And Japanese sake has been increasingly popular outside Japan in recent years, and the U.S. is one of the most promising markets for the sake industry. For example, between 2011 to 2021, the value of Japanese sake export to the U.S. tripled, and its quantity doubled according to the Japanese government statistics. In other words, Americans are drinking not only more sake, but also higher quality sake than 10 years ago. But if you live in America, you normally have to go to a Japanese restaurant to discover great sake, partly because your liquor, uh, local liquor shop doesn't carry good enough sake to your palate, or so maybe sell no sake at all, or the, the store doesn't have anyone who can give you good solid advice on which one to buy. And Tipsy Sake is a nice solution for the problem by making Japanese sake more readily available to everyone from sake novice to connoisseurs. So today we'll discuss how Genki's uh, unique background led him to come up with this uh, successful business concept and what types of Japanese sake people are drinking now in America and how COVID-19 dramatically boosted Tipsy Sake's business and much, much more. Before we start, Japan News is available on the Heritage Radio Network website, as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. So please go to iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify, whichever you listen to, and subscribe to Japan Needs. And please write away a review. We really appreciate your feedback. Now, let's start a conversation with Genki Ito. Hello, Genki. Welcome to the show. Hi, Akiko-san. It's nice to be on the show. Okay, so uh, welcome back from Japan. I heard you just went to Japan. Yes, yes. I had a business trip to Japan. I was there for about three weeks, and uh, it was it was crazy. I had to uh, stay in the hotel for the first six day mandatory quarantine, and you know I couldn't uh, step out of the room. And they they served me the same food over and over again. So cold bagel boxes, <laughs> and you know, and I I complained about that on Twitter, and people were kind of like you know getting angry that uh, I'm complaining about the free food and stuff, and you know. That was, that was um, an interesting time to go to Japan. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, maybe in a couple of years after, it will look back and then that was a crazy time. So, yeah, it sounds like I had a very precious experience. So, anyway, so to get to know you, where are you from and what did you eat when you grew up? I'm originally from Nagoya, Japan, in the middle of the country. And I grew up eating my mom's handmade uh, meal. Okay, what kind of like a Japanese? Um, yeah, Japanese food. Yeah, I'm um, uh, from 
uh, uh, you know, suburban area in Nagoya. And I was uh, living with my parents and my grandparents were there. Uh, when I was growing up, I had uh, an older brother, younger sister. So we have a we had a big family. And we always, uh, you know, get together over dinner um, and uh, eat uh, the, the, the food that my mom and grand, uh, grand, grandma prepared for all of us. Um, you know, it's just traditional Japanese food like curry, rice, grilled fish, rice and miso soup, you know, tsukemono and stuff like that. So that's, I think that's pretty, um, you know, um, ordinary to uh, any Japanese household. And uh, that's the type of food I was, uh, was uh, been eating growing up. Mm, right. So ordinary, but uh, ideal and dreamy to me. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so when and why did you come to the U.S.? So I came to the U.S. Uh, when I was 24 uh, because of this uh, job that I got after college. I uh, first, uh, I finished school in Nagoya and then moved to Tokyo for a different type of job. And then Lima Shock, uh, Lima Shock uh, changed everything. I lost my job and then I applied for uh, uh, this, uh, you know, position at a food importer in the U.S. And I was lucky enough to uh, get a working uh, status through that position. And I moved to first Hawaii. Uh, that was when I was 24. And I lived there for about two years. And I got uh, a, a position at the headquarters in Los Angeles. So I moved there. And then, you know, I, then I moved to New York and then came back to L.A. Then I started my own business. So uh, when I when I first came here, I was twenty four, and it was two thousand nine, I believe. Right. So sounds like what well, you you know you were interested in coming working abroad. Sounds like and uh, and you did so well, obviously. So what kind of business was it? I heard you were working at a Japanese trading company, right? Yes, it was a food importer, food and uh, beverage importer. Um, it was one of the uh, biggest. Um, in the U.S., carrying Japanese food, there are actually uh, a, a few few of the uh, bigger ones, um, and I was working for one of them. And I was um, uh, I experienced different uh, jobs like sales, marketing, operations, uh, while moving to uh, from different city, uh, you know, m- moving from city to city. So I I um, you know I can say that I got a good grasp of you know, um, what's going on in the uh, Japanese food industry. And, uh, you know, uh, this this really led to uh, my me, like, building my own business, but uh, how sake was, um, you know, treated, uh, what the uh, uh, customer perception uh, over sake was and how it was changing over time, uh, stuff like that. Mm, right. Oh, wow. So you got paid as working for the company, and then you kind of went to... Uh school of learning your for your business right now yeah i uh decided to go to business school um <clears throat> while working for the food importer and uh yeah i was studying for about two and a half year it was a part-time mba program i went to usc um university of southern california and got my mba wanted to do something on my own i uh, did a lot of research and i decided that uh this is a big opportunity and then uh you know i uh might be able to uh you know so solve the problem uh that the consumer uh so were having so i decided to jump in mm, right okay so uh by the way because you sell sake so what was your first sake um that fascinated you and what is your favorite sake right now um, so when I started uh, working for that uh, food distributor or importer, I um, I was helping a lot of events, you know, tasting events to uh, sell sake to consumers and buyers. And I didn't uh, particularly like sake that much when I uh, was starting. And, um, you know, I just, just the type of sake I used to uh, drink was like, uh, just really low quality, uh, you know, products uh, that 
you know, I took shots of I took shots of them. Uh, you know, uh, when I was in college in Japan, I you know wasn't uh, didn't have much money to pay for uh, good quality sake at all. So uh, I didn't have good uh, you know image uh, around sake. But uh, you know, um, in, in the first year I started working for that uh, importer, I attended this event. Um, well, I think we were helping a supermarket to sell more sake, and I was, you know, pouring sample sake to consumers. And I, uh, you know, my boss told me to take a sip of like everything we were uh, serving, so I could explain to the customer well. And mm-hmm. I, I got this um, uh, Ginjo sake uh, from Yamagata. Uh, Kudoki Jozu is the brand, and I really that really changed my perception. Of sake because I didn't know sake could be that fruity and you know fragrant and I immediately fell in love with it. Mm, wow, amazing. Okay, and uh, so what's your favorite sake? Can you tell? Maybe you cannot um, politically speak. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like all kinds, different kinds of sake, and then I try to drink uh, what I uh, can't, uh, you know, access especially when I'm in Japan. So I, when I visited like uh, uh, some good izakaya uh, to try their sake, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, I, I wanted, uh, I found this, uh, you know, rare item that's not easy, easily accessible. Uh, for example, like Jikon is kind of like a rare brand. It's super expensive if you want to buy it at retail. Uh, I heard uh, a lot of liquor, uh, you know, sakaya, liquor shops, they don't, they don't want to, sell like special brands to you if unless you have like a a good relationship with them um so jikon is the the brand i tried and it was amazing it's it's more like a trendy uh you know flavor profile uh muroka nama you know uh stuff like that that's super bold and uh, lively uh and it's really juicy um and 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 i like that type of sake Mm, right interesting Okay, and uh, so why now? This is a question to the <laughs> core question. Why did you decide to start a business to sell sake directly to consumers online in America? So yeah, so that's uh, based on uh, from my past experience uh, working at the importer. I've attended a uh, hundred, maybe thousand different events and uh, talked to consumers and buyers, uh, you know, face to face offering a high quality sake to them. And um, I got the same response over and over again. Um, so they said, when, whenever they see me serve sake, they're like, oh, I, I know sake. I've had a lot of shots uh, uh, during college. Or some people are like, oh, I don't do sake. It's too strong for me because it's it's like vodka, right? Uh, and But whenever I serve the high quality sake as a sample, uh, they, they change their, um, you know, their their facial expression. They're like, "Oh wow, what is this? Is this really the the same sake that I, that I had uh, before? It's, I never had anything like this. It's it's fruity. It's like white wine. Where can I get more of it?" So I I I see, you know, this kind of response over and over again, and then realized, you know, how come they just don't go to the Japanese market and buy some sake, or you know, um, uh, where where else can they buy sake? And, you know, as I did more research, uh, you know, like I said, during during business school, I did a lot of consumer uh, survey to really find out uh, what the problem is um, and what what is it that's limiting the growth of the sake market. Because, you know, uh, people say sake market is growing really fast, but uh, it's still like 1% of wine market. And I thought, you know, sake has, has the quality that's similar to wine and it has the, you know, depth in history. Uh, uh, a very wide selection and variety, and it's 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 interesting as content. You know, like there are hundreds or more than a thousand breweries uh, with hundreds of uh, uh, years in history. There's a lot of uh, story to tell. So why can can it grow faster? So that's uh, the idea I had, and um, you know, I my solution was to really make sake easy and fun and casual for American consumers and make it available at a, a wide scale uh, anywhere in the U.S. And uh, because I know uh, that experience of drinking authentic quality sake uh, 
that can change consumer perception. So I, I wanted to offer that experience to as many Americans as possible to really, uh, you know, uh, be the driver to, to uh, grow the market. Mm, that's so that's right. the idea I had, and that's why I started this business, um, you know, around sake. Mm, right. I, you know, I think your business model, we're going to discuss it now, but um, I really think what you do is valuable because uh, the number of sake brewers has been declining very rapidly. Yeah. And uh, I found that in 1983, there are approximately 2,600 sake breweries, according to the Development Bank of Japan, but only around 1,000. Some people mm-hmm. say less of them are operating today. Mm-hmm. So, and the main reasons behind the decline of the sake industry are the decrease in alcohol consumption among aging uh, sake drinkers and also younger generations in general, which I think is global, and competition with other alcoholic beverages like wine and beer and craft beer and everything. And of course, uh, labor shortage because craft sake. Authentic sake making takes a lot of labor, energy, and commitment. So, yeah, so what you're doing is that not just reversing the image of, you know, headache-inducing cheap sake, but also literally you are supporting dying sake industry, which they don't deserve. They don't deserve to die. They just have to be supported so that this precious tradition continues. So I really appreciate what you do. And um, (laughs) yeah. So, okay. So let's get to the concept of tipsy sake. So what is the concept of tipsy sake and what is your goal? So the concept is to make sake easy, fun, and more accessible. Um, And we offer, uh, we try to offer the wide, the the largest selection of sake to the the widest, uh, you know, uh, consumer, um, uh, wider audience, wider size audience uh, as possible in the U.S. And the, um, we not don't just offer individual bottles, but we offer um, this membership service called Tipsy uh, Sake Club, where we ship mini bottles, uh, six mini bottles each quarter, uh, hoping that uh, our members will um, try different types of sake, uh, you know, distinct flavor differences, uh, regionality, and, you know, and we also tell stories for the brand uh, through product card and booklet so they'll understand the brand uh, and then, you know, uh, who's making the the beautiful, uh, delicious sake that they're trying, uh, all that stuff. Uh, we drive education. Um, so, uh all, all of that in effort. All, all, all of this is in effort to, um, you know, uh, get them to uh, be more interested in sake, to find their favorite brands, uh, so they can, you know, order uh, bigger bottles on their own. Uh, so in in a way, we are uh, kind of creating a new market, and so that's uh, that that's our goal to uh, to get uh, more people to drink more sake, and get them to find their favorite bottle so they can order. Uh, on their own, and hopefully they can order. Uh, you know, they can they can try new sake restaurants on their own. Um, they can bring sake to their friends' home parties to introduce sake. Um, to really, uh, the the our our goal is to spread the love of sake. Mm, right, and I, I like the product details of the, each page because if you click on a, each sake, there's a you know, very informative summary page that includes uh, flavor, not just characteristics, but the mm-hmm. taste mat- matrix chart. It's like so visual. Yeah. And they have a video and uh, background serving temperatures and everything. So, yeah. Um, so if I didn't know anything about sake and go to the website, I could just probably pick um, something I'm certain to be able to enjoy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just go to the website and then how do you choose? Like, I have no idea. What shall I do? So we have different, uh, uh, you know, uh, different things you can do uh, using navigation. Uh, you can find something based on taste profile, you know, rich and dry, light and, uh, light and uh, what, uh, 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 you know, different different taste profiles uh, based on uh, uh Psychometer value and acidity, and all that taste information, and also uh, what we are trying to do uh, uh, that's interesting with our tasting metrics is 
uh, we are, this is our new feature, but uh, we'll, we'll put, um, you know, all, all our products as dots in the taste metrics uh, to show which items are similar to what you are browsing right now. So you can just, you know, uh, browse to mix items and find uh, potentially, uh, you know, uh, the stuff that you want to try next. And, um, you know, and also we uh, can, you know, people can search products based on price range and uh, and what else do we offer now? We, uh, this is our new feature that's coming up soon, but the by prefecture and, you know, uh, a lot of people, but uh, in, in my opinion, a lot of people that land on our website uh, don't know where to go uh, because they don't, uh, oh yeah, we do have the categories, you know, like Nigori, uh, Koshu, Kimoto, and stuff like that. And we also, uh, uh, you know, uh, allow for uh, brewery searches and brand searches and stuff like that. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I think a lot of people don't have any idea how to find uh, what they should try first. So that's why I offer on our first page our membership products where you, you can just start with our welcome package with, uh, you know, beginner's guide included in the box and six uh, different bottles with distinct flavor differences to try to find, you know, uh, what type of sake uh, they should be looking for. Mm, right. And uh, so if, you know, that's for consumers. And if I was... Uh, I owned a brewery, but I haven't been to U.S. market. I haven't sold anything to America. And how can I get on to the list on your website? <laughs> well, um, so, so um, the alcohol supply chain is a little bit um, unique in the U.S. And the uh, importers have to import the products first and, you know, do their, um, you know, administrative work with the, uh, the federal government. And uh, and then they can offer the product to us. So right now we already have close to 500 different SKUs. Uh, we did, uh, you know, increase our uh, number of SKUs, uh, uh, you know, little by little. And I think we have a lot of products right now for for the, the people that are new to sake and um, a lot of people are, uh, you know, repeat customers for us. So they still enjoy the, the selection that we carry, the large selection we carry. And uh, we are uh, willing to bring in more products uh, so our customers won't get bored with the same selection. Uh, but uh, it'll be... Um, it'll, it'll be challenging for sure in terms of, you know, like... Uh, 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 warehouse uh, storage and you know uh, inventory uh, the level of inventory that we have to deal with um, but uh, yeah um, if if there's a good product that's available uh, in the US market uh, already carried by the importers I'd love to take a look at them but it's it's kind of difficult for me to say you know okay I want to buy this product and let's just start uh, importing it Mm, right, it's very hard. So you have to maybe you have to go to the uh, brewery to convince that person to go through that administrative part, so that you can um, manage to import. So that's a regulation issues. But uh, sometimes when I travel to a certain country, like even wine, the same um, alcoholic um, system and a distribution system is so complicated that mm-hmm. I had an Italian wine in Italy and I can't find it. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, how can I get that, right? You, just, you get obsessed with one label and it happens with Japanese sake too. So yeah. it would be nice that um, eventually, you know, there's kind of like sounding board. I want this product, that product. And eventually mm-hmm. uh, someone like you become a matching matchmaker and you sell. Yeah, right? yeah. Mm-hmm. that'll be our our, our, our uh, that that's our dream, you know, like to make more uh, labels available in the U.S. and uh, to have everything uh, ready for purchase for customers in the U.S. Because there always there are brands that are difficult to access, and even there there is stuff that people in Japan even can uh, buy easily. So you know, it, it's nice to to have you know um, a good selection of sake available to U.S. consumers all the time, and we want to you know, uh, try 
um, uh, as much as possible to make that happen. Mm, right. So I like I guess I said earlier. So the sake industry is facing uh, danger. <laughs> I really think. Uh, I mean, there's so many award-winning great sake labels, but I think mm-hmm. there are so many un- undiscovered. Uh, wonderful sake right. produced by small breweries. I really mm-hmm. think that we need to support them. So, so, anyways, so we'll take a quick break here, and when we come back, we'll discuss um, what types of sake people are drinking right now in America and other places, and how the pandemic dramatically changed Genki's business. So, please stay with us. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. The Hearst family has been raising cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of California's Central Coast for over 150 years. Piedra Blanca Rancho in San Simeon is the original Hearst Ranch, founded by George Hearst in 1865. George's son was the famous publisher, William Randolph Hearst. In addition to being known for building the iconic Hearst Castle, William was, like his father before him, an avid rancher. In his words, I would rather spend a month at the ranch than any place in the world. Thanks to one of the largest land conservation easements in California history, a joint effort with the California Rangeland Trust, the American Land Conservancy, and the state of California, the working landscape at Hearst Ranch will be preserved forever. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at HearstRanch.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Japan Needs. I'm your host, Akiko Katayama, and my guest today is Genki Ito, who is the founder of Tipsy Sake, an online store that specializes in Japanese sake based in California. So you carry all types of sake, from Junmai Daginjo to Kimoto Yamahai. So what types of sake are the most popular right now? It's very difficult to say, and if you... You know, when I ask like what, what what are the famous brands, I would just can just list popular brands. Uh, and uh, you know, the popular brands are I think the same across the country because I think it has to do with the availability of the the products and uh, and the um, and the marketing efforts by those brands and the importers. So uh, you know, popular brands are uh, also popular um, among our customers. Uh, tipsy, but interesting is that uh, you know. Um, I think um, um, cities like top tier cities like New York and um, San Francisco, maybe uh, Chicago, maybe um, customers in those metropolitan areas uh, who has access to a variety of restaurants and high quality cuisine, they tend to uh, order something very, very particular like Yamaha uh products and uh, some particular brands that uh, that aren't really available in California, but uh, people uh, in New York want specific products because, you know, there are people uh, that I know uh, that are promoting those particular brands uh, and working closely with restaurants and doing food pairing. And, you know, I think those, um, you know, grassroots, uh, grassroots efforts uh, are paying off and um, th- uh, some, some, Customers have a strong brand uh, 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 aff- affinity with uh, particular items, and I think that's amazing. Um, but uh, other than that, I think uh, people that are new to sake tend to order, um, you know, lower in price range, uh, easy to drink, like uh, major uh, products by major uh manufacturers because of the you know lower price points and uh something that's really uh you know that catches your eye uh because of the the packaging like the color pink blue and stuff like that uh, are also uh are good sellers um i think it really depends on uh what the customer uh segment um you're talking about they mm. buy different types of items Right. So sounds interesting, right? Because of course there's a visual effects of how easy to understand the label, how attracted labels are, but also that education part, because the sommelier, sake sommeliers as a restaurant, they really kind of unfold all those magics of sake. And otherwise you have no clue. And I think if you visit the winery or um, you know, 
the distillery or sake brewery, you get to learn how it's made and what is special about that thing. So um, hopefully your informative website can solve, uh, partly solve the issue of a lack of information. But um, yeah, so that sounds like the bigger cities have more kind of like niche um, types of sake people drinking, not just Jumai, mm-hmm. Daiginjo, but something like a more complicated um, production system like Kimoto, Yamahai, those things uh, kind of preferred in major cities right now? Um, I don't know for sure. It's difficult to say if it's Yamahai is you know, becoming popular because it's Yamahai. I think it's more because of the, the people behind, you know, like marketing those products and they're telling stories for, for the brands and uh, because... Uh, Yamaha or Kimoto, uh, you know, uh, uh, brewing methods, they're, they're um, easy to explain. You know, it has, uh, t- takes a lot of manual uh, labors and that, uh, uh, that's, that makes a good story. Uh, to mm. so that's why I think people, uh, you know, um, prefer those brands um, and they, they happen to be Yamaha and Kimoto. Um, but um, yeah, I... Uh, I hope we, we our websites do uh you know uh uh playing a similar role you know to tell a story uh for for the brands uh with the, all the tasting information that we have and videos and photos and also the uh, interview uh, pieces that we do with brewers um, to really um, help people choose the the sake they, they want to try. Uh, because the the packagings and colors and all the other stuff that uh, uh, th- those are the only things that uh, consumers had uh, when they're you know as, as information when they're choosing sake before. But uh, right now, because of us uh, and we do t- uh, you know um, have this membership products to uh, really go into the stories of those brands that we work with. I hope um, we we help our customers uh, find their favorite brands, new fav- find their uh, new brands, uh, you know, and then be- uh, make them become their favorite favorite so they can uh, purchase uh, again and again. Um, mm. so that's the idea and, uh, you know, what of uh, Tipsy and that's what we want to do. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's amazing. So, yeah, it's almost, um, you know, this prosperity of all online stores from big major um, you know, Amazon to everything because we are informed by going to the website, which is necessary, right? Because you don't want to take a risk. And uh, I think your website definitely provides enough information to reduce your risk of purchasing wrong things. So, yeah, that's awesome. So it doesn't matter which region you reside in and what kind of experience you have with sake. So, yeah, I think your business model is really amazing. So, congratulations. Thank you. And okay, so um, do you know uh, like age group or gender or any de- customer demographic demographics you have for who's who's buying sake now? Um, I'd say um, all age groups, but uh, the largest group uh, is millennials, uh, twenty five to thirty five, and slightly male skewed, like fifty five percent male. But uh, I see orders coming from everywhere and um, all, all different age segments. Yeah, I, uh, all I can say is that, uh, you know, 90, probably 99% of the customers are non-Japanese. Mm, that's amazing. Wow. Okay. And then, um, but do you currently sell uh, only to within the States or do you have any Canada or overseas? Oh no, we just ship to I think forty-five different states in uh, just just domestically in the US. Mm, okay. And uh are there any states that particularly buy your your sake? Yeah, interesting. When I started the business, I thought uh, you know, uh more people from like suburban areas uh be buying from us uh because of the the the, the lack of access uh, to you know, uh, supermarkets and uh, restaurants. But, uh, you know, when I started the business, I su- I was surprised that uh, a lot of orders are coming from uh, major cities, big, big states like New York, California, and, um, you know, uh, people that uh, even have access to uh, 
great selection at, at retail stores, uh, they will still come to us because they they don't know they don't know what to buy. Basically, you know, they don't have any guidance at the stores. Usually, uh, the the store selection is usually limited. But um, you know, I that's something I I I uh, was uh, surprised to find out uh, when I started the business that you know. Um, even people in the major cities buy from us, and when you look at the, you know, the 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 volume uh, by state, I I think you see something similar to the uh, proportions of wine consumption by state. Um, I think bigger cities are always New York, California, uh, Texas, and Florida. Uh, all those states with big big population, um, they. Yeah, they, they buy a lot of sake too. Mm-hmm. Hey, so they have more exposure. They are more. Their interest is already bigger in sake and any anything else, like anything else, I guess. Right, and uh, so well, you started Tipsy Sake right before COVID nineteen started. So, how did the pandemic affect your business? Well, uh, yeah, we were just establishing our operations when the pandemic hit, and uh, I think. Uh, I think it, it affected all e-commerce companies uh, somewhat uh, f- favorably uh, because of the the boom, uh, uh, sudden increase in demand. And to us, I think a lot of demand switched from uh, restaurants. Uh, people were still ordering uh, food from restaurants, but they realized they couldn't buy alcohol. I know, but some some restaurants are uh, because of the. Uh, 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 change in regulation, they were offering uh, alcohol to go, but uh, still, uh, a lot of people thought, okay, where can we buy uh, wine or you know sake? Because because I'm I'm eating sushi today, and then realized that that there is a store uh, online, and and they could um, you know order and get get whatever they wanted uh, for uh, to to deliver to their door. So. That I think that really helped our business in the beginning. Uh, that really helped our uh, uh, push our sales um, very significantly. But uh, last year, I think a lot of restaurants opened up and the restaurant capacity was close to like 90% uh, during the summer already. And that was, uh, um, you know, uh, a bit challenging. But uh, we found that a lot of customers that uh, came to us during the lockdown, they, uh, you know, decided to stick with us. Uh, we have re- very high uh, retention rate, and uh, that's 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 great to know, uh, you know, because we were um, solving customer uh, issues, uh, solving customer needs because people were still uh, uh, looking to buy great sake uh, anywhere in the U.S. Uh, and then they, they uh, if they don't order uh, or drink sake at restaurants, they will still wanna. Uh, drink sake at home, so that's that's a, a great finding, and um, yeah. So the the pandemic uh, overall uh, really pushed our sales, uh, helped our helped us establish our operations, and then yeah, we're uh, we're not gonna stop here. Uh, we are continue to grow uh, because there's uh, I would say like 99 percent of the American consumers. They've had had sake at some time in their life, but they really hadn't tried uh, authentic quality sake. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of education that we can do and there's a, uh, and there's a lot of market growth. Mm, right. Well, you got lucky without knowing what's going to happen. Yeah. So, right. Okay. And, uh, and you, you know, business has been growing steadily. Um, I mean, thanks to the COVID probably, but you have good, I think, strategy to acquire customers. So how do you just uh, put yourself on Google? How do you, um, what's your strategy to acquire customers so successfully? Um, Well, our primary strategy is to uh, continue to create great content, uh, whether that's a product page. uh, Like you mentioned, we have a lot of information. Uh, We try to tell stories for the brand and we, uh, you know, um, create content piece 
uh, together with uh, the, the breweries, uh, we asked them for a lot of information. Uh, sometimes we asked them to shoot a video on their own and so we can edit uh, their work uh, and then we can combine that with the, the stuff we do in our in-house studio. Um, you know, we have an expert to do uh, tasting and pairing and stuff like that. So um, all of that is to really um, uh, build great content for our website. And that's that's our good SEO strategy. Uh, whoever uh, is searching for a particular brand will see our content first. And also we do a lot of social media marketing, influencer marketing to, uh, uh, you know, get in front of more people uh, with, you know, stories for the brands. And also uh, we tell people that, you know, uh, sake isn't uh, something that, they, 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 there might be a misperception around sake and that's what we try to tell them you know uh, we get them to try uh, as soon as, as as soon as we you know get them to try a great quality sake they'll probably open up to try more so um, that's our top funnel strategy uh, to uh, you know show show great content good content about sake uh, to as many people as possible on social media, uh, get uh, the uh, influencer to try our sake, uh, you know, uh, subscription kit or a mini-ball mini tasting kit um, So to, to get that word out. So that's that's our marketing strategy. Mm, right. And you have to, at the same time, you have to maintain uh, good quality sake throughout your portfolio. So how do you select sake? Do you uh, work with sake sommeliers or do you have relationships with different high-quality breweries, or how does it work? Well, so initially, I started the website with only like 200 SKUs. And at the time, I just, you know, worked with the major suppliers, and I tried to carry uh, most of the, the popular products and also in the products that I could source information for, because uh, a lot of... Uh, products uh, come without any information. It's very difficult to contact breweries directly to ask for information uh, when I was just starting out. Uh, but right now it's a little bit different. We have a, a team, a product team to source information directly uh, from breweries. We interview them, uh, we get them to um, you know, uh, submit great uh, photography for the breweries and the brands and and um, yeah, so uh, to to select our product portfolio, I I work with uh, Sake Sommelier. Uh, we have a we have a Sake expert on the team, and she does all the 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 management work uh, for the portfolio. She she talks to importers and brewers, uh, get offers about new products, and you know she looks at the um, our product selection and continues to, uh, you know, bring in more interesting item. Uh, so our, so our customer won't get bored and they'll, you know, they'll, they'll enjoy, uh, uh, to, to find new products, uh, time to time. Mm, right. Sounds like that job is very interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's almost like treasure hunting uh, <laughs> to get information. Yeah. I'm sure that, you know, the so breweries enjoy being interviewed. And uh, ask more about what they do, philosophical things, because your website really features the deep part of uh, what they do at the brewery. So, yeah, great job. Um, okay, and then what are the biggest challenges in running your business so far? The biggest challenges uh, were um, fundraising, uh, for sure. That's number one. Uh, because, you know, I started the company on my own and I realized um, that I needed um, funding to continue to run the <laughs> <laughs> for marketing and other purposes, of course. And I did uh, three, three rounds of, uh, you know, um, uh, fundraising so far. And, then, and, you know, whenever I do a, a new round of financing, uh, I just just find it super difficult and it's because if it's you know it's hard to convince investors um of the potential of this 
category, uh, Japanese sake, because the market size is still still very small. Uh, you know, and I so I have to tell really um, a good story. You know how this will become something something amazing. You know, um, so I have to show data. I have to show uh, a customer testimonial uh, to to really tell them that this is this is something something um, that's that's really growing really fast, and uh, this is gonna be like wine. You know, and I I tend to have you know uh, difficult times talking to investors uh, depending on. Um, the the background they have because uh, a lot of people don't really have much knowledge around this category, and it's uh, I have to craft my story differently uh, depending on who I speak with, uh, whether that's uh, from US or Japan. So um, you know, fundraising for sure is the the biggest challenge I had. Mm, right. Well, but I think what you're doing. It's not a waste of your energy and efforts. It's really great. And uh, I think you are in the right place at the right time. Yeah, I think I think so too. And uh, I think uh, the, the funding is coming together soon and I, it'll uh, you know help us uh, grow um, out of our current phase and uh, help us move to the next stage, I hope. And uh, you know, I think we can do something great with our product. And I think we can surprise our customers uh, in a in a good way uh, with more uh, better user experience and better product experience. Mm, right, and as particularly like you know uh, your website. I'm just looking at your website. Your product description on a chart. That's like you want to see uh, this thing with everything like taste matrix. Just yeah. seriously, like <laughs> really like busy, yeah. easy to. See and in serving temperatures, the flavor profile, like biscuits, earth, like recommended dishes. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I I really like your pages, mm-hmm. and so um, well, the we have listeners in globally, like 190 countries, literally. So, where do you? I mean, you you plan to expand your distribution eventually outside the U.S. or? Is the regulation um, aspect of too big a challenge for you? Um, it's not. Um, I don't really plan on expanding internationally with uh, the same business model. But uh, what we are doing, it will affect uh, you know this category globally. I, th- I hope, and I think sake is going to be like wine or beer, um, borderless. You know, uh, you don't you don't know where exactly beer is from. It's it's you know people people drink it everywhere in the world. Wine is enjoyed with the, all different kinds of cuisines, and sake happens to be just from Japan, but it has a similar quality. You know, uh, the stuff I, I I told you already, but uh, it has a huge potential, and it can become like wine or beer uh, to go. Uh, Go, you know, grow out of Japan and be enjoyed by people all over, all over the world. And I think we can, you know, uh, kind of like uh, um, uh, help that, you know, um, um, how should I say? Um, so we using data. Uh, um, we are we are collecting data from breweries about the taste of each product, and we are collecting information from consumers and we will be the company with most data around people that drink sake and i hope to really make sake uh naked in a way uh not associated with just sushi or japanese food or japanese culture uh it should be enjoyed just solely because it, it just tastes good and because of its high quality and it's high pairability with food um so I'm hoping to help uh, that type of you know movement uh, worldwide. Uh, just starting from the U.S., doing a retail business uh, at this you know this at this time. Um, but um, eventually, I hope to grow into something uh, much much more bigger. Uh, doesn't have to be just a consumer business. We might we might develop uh, you know original brands for people that are outside of Japan. 
uh, we can develop, uh, you know, intelligence, uh, AI intelligence system to uh, help people match um, the type of sake they, they, they want to try. Uh, we can maybe pr provide uh, services to restaurants. So there are all different uh, ways we can uh, grow into, and I'm super excited about that. Mm, right. That sounds amazing. All right. So, well, good luck. And I hope what you're going to say, what are you going to do? Oh, it's going to happen. I really think that you're going to create a platform to support the sake industry overall from consumer side and, of course, uh, producer side. And uh, I really hope uh, you're going to do great. Um, yeah, so good luck. So where can we find your updates on online and social media? Um, you can find us on all social media, uh, Tipsy Sake. We are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We're not that active on LinkedIn, but uh, yeah, we have an account there too. So yeah, if we want, if you can follow us on those platforms, that would be great. You'll see uh, uh, our new products launch and new features, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll you'll get notifications uh, when we release new blog article, articles and stuff like that. Mm, right. So again, it's uh, tipsysake.com. That's T-I-P-P-C-S-Y sake. So T-I-P-P-S-Y-S-A-K-E.com, not tipsy, like regular T-I-P-S-Y. So double yeah. P. Right. Okay. So uh, thank you so much for joining us today, Genki, and good luck. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks for uh, having me. Okay, so listeners, if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for show topics or guests, please contact us at japanese.heritageradionetwork.org or akikokatayama.com. Japanese is a weekly program and always available at heritageradionetwork.org as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. Our engineer is Armin Spenjan, and thank you for listening. I will see you next week. Japanese is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thank you for listening.